0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. It's been so fun for me here at the end of the year to get to do a few interviews with really interesting investors and business people um, and get to share them with you guys. And I want to say thank you for being here with us. It's been an intense year and one in which we've all learned a lot. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy holiday season. I also wanted to mention that if you missed last week's interview with Annalisa Gigante about innovation, go back and listen to that one. Because as I was interviewing Jeremy Deal, which episode will be out at the beginning of January, next episode, um, all I could think about was that interview I did with Annalisa and how much the way Jeremy invests relates to the way Annalisa views innovation. And really what he does is incredibly innovative um, looking for innovative companies. So check those out because in my head, they connected like crazy and, um, and just enjoy, enjoy the end of the year here. I wish you good health. I wish you happiness. And we'll be back in January. My dad and I with new episodes. Thanks everybody. Bye. Hey
2: everybody. This is Bill Town.
0: And this is Danielle Town.
2: Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are figuring out the best way to invest so that you can have financial freedom, so that you can live your Dharma, you can live the life you want to live, and you can pass on this knowledge to create generational wealth. How's
0: that? Oh, I like that one. How's that? Can Pretty you say good. that again?
2: <laughs> I can't remember. Let's see. <laughs> uh, financial freedom. How to live freedom. your Dharma. Dharma, financial generational freedom wealth.
0: and create generational wealth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's worth listening a little bit about. So let's talk about this because we got some really cool uh, questions that come right to the heart of all this. You want to dig in on that?
0: Sure. Okay. So as you guys know, we have been having quick questions from our wonderful listeners who can put in an audio question on our website at investedpodcast.com. And so we have one today from Eddie. Eddie, your question is excellent, and I'm so excited to play this one. So here's Eddie.
1: Hello, Phil and Danielle. My name is Eddie. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year. You guys do a great job. I have a question just regarding, you know, when you find those great companies, uh, the margin of safety rules tell you to jump in and you buy. How often are you in stocks? You know, how often are you in and buying these companies? One of my fears is that we're probably. I'm afraid that I'd be if, if I went and did this strategy that I would be in cash too often or half the time. You know, I'd be buying a prop, buying a, a stock for. And holding for maybe four years, it goes up a couple hundred percent, and then the next four years, I'm in cash, and my average return just gets really, really diminished. So, how often are you, in your experience, you know, owning these companies, and how often are you in cash? And just when you're out, when you're just in cash, just looking back over the total time period of you know you're investing, how does it really affect your annual compounded return? Uh, um, Anyway, that's what I wanted to know if you could answer. I really appreciate it. Thanks.
0: I just love this question. Thank you, Eddie. Um, Yeah, like this is the thing. This is all we we hear about is like, oh, just a regular compounded 15% per year. And that's great. And it all sounds very steady. And, you know, you just stay in the market and invest forever and never take your money out. And in real life, we take our money out sometimes. And... Right now, a lot of people are in cash, and so Eddie's question is so spot on. What does those first of all is that the right thing to do, and secondly, what do those periods of um, of not being invested, of just waiting to buy things, what do those periods do to your overall return? And and I mean, I think the basis of his question is: is this really the right strategy?
2: Okay. Well, yes, it is. (laughs) And now I'll prove it. Okay. Good. Love the proof. (laughs) All right, Eddie. So let's, let's start with this example that you gave us. Okay. Um, You go into a company, um, buy it at a big margin of safety. And four years later, it's a 200% return, which by which I take it to mean it's doubled twice. Is that fair Mm -hmm. enough? Okay. So it went up and then it doubled again. Mm-hmm. Is that if I got the right number of doubles?
0: That's what I would think. But I mean,
2: well, I'm we gonna can, take it we that can assume that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I have that wrong. Maybe 200% means it's doubled once. That's 100%. And then doubled another 100%. Another
0: 100% well. maybe. So another if it started 100%. at $10, maybe now it's at $30?
2: Okay. Let's say $30. Okay. I think 200%. How do you, how do you even calculate that? I don't well, know. Well,
0: you do, you do 10 times 0.3.
2: No, Well, I think if 100 went to 200, you would show a 200% return, actually, which is, you know, in four years, that's okay, right? I I would say, first off, Eddie, if you did that and you went from 100 to $200 in four years or 200% return on that way of calculating it, that's not a great return, right? In the last four years, that would have been lower than the market itself. So I'm going to presume that there was a mistake made. And you didn't buy a company that was on sale for 50% off, because if you did, it would be a lot higher return than that in four years, unless something went wrong. But let's just take it at that. Let's take it as a kind of a crummy return.
0: Okay. Which one are you, which one are you going to use for so this? So
2: 100 example?
0: to 200 in four years. So the, it's $100
2: to $200. Yeah. Okay. In four years. And then you do nothing for the next four years because you sold off this thing. And now you are sitting in cash for four years. So really what that means is you went from hundred thousand or $100 to $200 in eight years. Yeah. Right? You made yeah. it in the first four, but then you didn't do anything with it for another four. Yeah. And so what's your return? And the answer is your return is 9% per year compounded. Okay? Okay. Which turns out to be the average market return since 1960. Nine percent? Yeah.
0: No, I thought the market return was like five percent.
2: For the last 120 years, yeah. Oh. So I'm just taking a a really good time of the market. In other words, you're not going to expect the market to do what it's done in the last 10 years because it started after a gigantic crash. Yeah. So if you took where the market was, which was at about, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is about 14,000, and now it's at like 26,000. So that's basically one double in 10 years, which is 7%. We could throw in, we could throw in some, some, some dividends, okay, and let's call it nine. In other words, you did a not a great job here of buying a wonderful company on sale. You made 12% on it in, per year in the first four years, but then you didn't do anything else with it for the next four years because the market was too high and you couldn't find anything. Your overall return is still 9% compounded, which is at least as good, maybe better, than the market itself over some over an average period of time. You, you look puzzled. Are you with me, Danielle?
0: Yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you.
2: Okay, but I want to take a little better example. Let's take something that is, I think, fairly likely to happen. If you're buying a company and you buy it at a 50% discount to its real value, what we see over and over and over again is those prices in this kind of a market just go right up quickly. They go back in a big hurry if you get it right. Okay, so let's uh take something a little more like, okay, that was a good rule one deal. You put in $100 and four years later, you've got two doubles, $400. Okay. Not one double. You doubled twice in four years. Okay, cool. So that was really a good one. You're making about 30% a year compounded. And now you sit and do nothing for the next four years. So what happens is you've gone from 100 to 400 in four years, and then eight years later you still got 400. How's your rate of return? And the answer is your compounded rate of return is 19% per year. You crushed it. And this is the remarkable thing about these high rates of return is that they really do allow you to sit in cash for long periods of time and do nothing um, and still come out extremely well.
0: His question was, so how do these periods of being in cash affect the long-term return rates uh, after several years of, of being in cash or being in the market up and down? And I think what I hear you saying is what it does is it reduces your rate of return. Sure. And the way that you think about it is instead of just looking at the return of the years that you owned A given investment or let's say your portfolio, your portfolio overall, you look at it, including the years that you're not fully invested. Right. And thereby reduce the return accordingly. Right. So it does, it lowers it. So basically his question is like the implication of his question is correct. Like, yes, it goes down.
2: Yep. But the the further implication is I'm not going to be doing as well if I, as if I would if I just left my money in the market. Right,
0: so that's, that, the, that's the other side of the coin. Right. If you're making these sorts of investments where you're buying based on an event when, it's, uh, when the price is quite low to its actual value and you can expect it co- to go up considerably and then it does, um, then you end up, I think this is what you're saying, you end up making more in the long run Despite those periods of being in cash, because you've made so much in a shorter amount of time through investing during that event versus a more a lower rate of return over let's say a longer number of years,
2: we've got the same number of years, but you sorry got so same ultimately. right,
0: same number of years, but longer number of years actually in owning the. Stock
2: owning the market, and the and market. of course the the market is not immune from um, treating you badly, Eddie. It's like, <laughs> in fact, you can pretty much guarantee that the market is going to just absolutely whipsaw you um, over any long period of time, and that means that virtually every. <laughs> I like that the market's going to whipsaw you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not a like a nice quiet ride in the market. It requires great fortitude. To just sit in the market when it's going down by 50 percent which it did if you guys will remember it did that over and over again right so did it in night in 2000 to 2003 it did it again in 2007 2009 it did it again uh all right so i think about to do it again so the market is going to have big drops in it which ultimately reset its overall rate of return. So right now, people that are not very familiar with investing over the last 10 years think this is the stock market. Oh, yeah, I just put my money and it goes up at 13% a year. This is great. Mm -hmm. Susie Orman was right. Mm -hmm. But forgetting, of course, that the market dropped 50% to the point 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. where it started way down from where it was in just the previous year. So I thought I'd take another look at this. Um, using our experience over in Singapore with our first class in 2009, which you you pointed out is at the perfect time to be investing, right?
0: I did. You mentioned that last time.
2: Yeah. So let's not be so perfect this time.
0: Oh, let's not. I love not being perfect. All
2: right. So first, let's start with, let's just stay in the market period from August of 2007, where I went on CNBC and said, I'm out of here. Okay. Things are too pricey. But let's just stay in right there. Let's follow the advice of the guy who is the senior editor for Kiplinger Magazine, which is you can't tell when to get in. You can't tell when to get out. So mm-hmm. how are you going to know? Um, and let's just stay invested. So August 2007, the S&P 500 was at 1474 And let's say you have at that point $100,000 of stock, okay. which means you've got about 68 shares of the S&P. Okay. All right, now, we just take it right tilt now, and it's at 3110, um, and your 68 shares of the S&P are now worth $211,000. All right, mm-hmm. so here we are with Eddie's scenario. Basically, you've mm-hmm. doubled your money you Got a 211% return. Yeah. Right? That's Pretty basically good.
0: exactly what he said, yeah.
2: Exactly what he said. And the compounded annual growth rate of your money, not including dividends, is 7.4%, which is what we're saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so 7.4%. And that's quite a lot different than 13% per year, isn't it, right? Yeah. That's about half. So that's the real number. And that's what you could kind of expect to see, I think, over a long period of time. All right. Now, let's now instead, let's just get out of the market when I said to. And we could talk about why in a minute. But let's just say um, I have this magic crystal ball and you're listening to me. And it says, get out. And I'm on TV saying, get out. August two thousand seven, on uh, Maria Bartiromo closing bell. <laughs> Go look it up. <laughs> it's real. We're never
0: going to stop hearing about We're this. Never stop hearing
2: about it. <laughs> and I'm out at fourteen seventy four. So now I have hundred thousand dollars. Right? I got a hundred grand in cash. Now Eddie's point is, wow, am I going to sit in cash for long periods of time? Well, I'll, I got to tell you, the the cash period that happened from August of two thousand seven until March of two thousand nine, where I got you know, very publicly saying, get back in, is um, 18 months. And that's a relatively average period of time for staying off in cash. Because once stocks start to drop from a ridiculous price, you know, just like if you're looking at a car that's getting discounted every day, or you go down to Filene's basement every day, they knock the price down some more, you're not in a big hurry to buy that suit. Might as well just wait a little bit, because this thing is coming down like a brick. And unlike Filene's, nobody's going to buy up all the stock, right? You, you get to just sit there and watch it. So just sure watch it, let it go. not sure Basement
0: exists anymore, Dad. Oh, it doesn't? TJ Maxx, guys, TJ Maxx.
2: Okay, TJ Maxx wiped them out. All right, so now you're just going to wait until not the market determines when you get back in, but the company prices that you want to buy. So you've made a really lovely watch list and you want to buy these stocks. And now they've come down and down and down and down. And at some point, you don't know where the bottom is. So I, I don't have that magic ball, uh, magic crystal ball, but I do have the ability to know that something is reasonably on sale, you know, with a big margin of safety. All right, so now it's time to get back. In. So I publicly said, all right, I'm coming back into the market. Why? Because um, I don't have a crystal ball. It's just because everything's cheap. So going back into the S&P, now, you, you, again, you're buying back the index at this point in time. We'll okay. get to individual investors in a second, but you're just buying the index. There's no special knowledge other than things are really, really high and I'm getting the cash because it's getting sketchy. And now things are really, really low and I'm getting back in because it's every, everything looks on sale. Mm-hmm. You jump back into the market. So you're getting back in at 756. So you got out at 1476. You got back in at 756. So the market went down 50% right there. Okay. And now the market, let's say, is at 31.10, you're at about 400% return. So more of what we've said to Eddie, typical. 400% return, two doubles, and that's a compounded annual growth rate over the last 10 years of right at 15%. Mm. Mm. Okay. So now you've doubled your rate of return. How much money do you have? Well, instead of having $211,000, you have got 400000 And all you did was do the thing they all say you can't do, which is to time the market correctly, getting in, getting out. And if you didn't do it perfect, you'd still have a lot more money.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you you point to kind of a sign of the times because when the example you just gave versus Eddie's question are really, and I realize now that his question implies being in cash as the market is still going up which is the situation we're in now which is the one everybody has so many questions about you know what do i do do i be in cash do i ride it up i don't know where it's going to end i don't know when it's going to fall right all of that and and i'm that was i think implied in his question you sit in cash you're doing nothing with your money while the market goes up that's the torture i think the section of time that you just referenced being in cash in was, and I have not been through a period like that as an investor. So when we get to one, it's going to be interesting for me. That's a period where the market's going down and in your scenario, you're sitting in cash and you're debating, do I get back in? Do I get back in? When's the bottom? Do I get back in? So it's sort of a different attitude towards the cash thing of like, you're missing out, but in a different, in a sort of opposing ways.
2: Well, you're missing out on the market continuing to be overpriced, and that's you know it'd be a bit like going into a a, a store where you expect things to be on sale, but the only reason they're on sale is, is just because you know they're going to raise prices again tomorrow. <laughs> so you just finally just like I can't stand it anymore. I have to I have to pay these absurd prices because they're just going to be more expensive tomorrow, right? Okay. And that's not a game that we do very well. That's called momentum trading and it is what virtually all of your financial uh professionals do. That's that's what they that's how they play the game momentum investing. So I thought since that was going to be a problem, I'd have a a, a solution.
0: Since what's going to be a
2: problem? how do you know when to get out?
0: Ah, okay. Thank you.
2: Okay. So how do you know when to get out? Now this solution isn't going to last our lifetimes, right? Um, but it is going to be around. It's been around for a long time and it's going to probably be around for, I hope a lot longer. And that solution is to use Warren Buffett as a guide Hmm. for when to get out. Okay. All right. Now, the way to do that, and just historically, you should know that Warren is really good at writing a letter every year, and occasionally he says in the letter, it's time to get out. So that would mm-hmm. be the first clue. His mm-hmm. <laughs> <As> Buffett said, <laughs> hey, dummy, it's time to get out. Okay? <laughs> and he does that each time over the last, geez, what, uh, uh, 20 years or so. Each time he's gotten out, he's been very public about it. I am thinking this is way too high now, going to be a storm. Um, and he doesn't say, I'm out. He just says, watch out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so one of the, in, I, I think a fabulous indicator of when it's time to start thinking I need to get to cash is looking at the cash hoard for Berkshire Hathaway. As Buffett stacks up his cash, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as he's not finding anything to buy. Mm-hmm. And bigger means from the previous high, it's pretty much doubled. And this is this has been historically accurate. It's quite cool. So let's say in 1997, he's got, I don't know, two, I don't know, three, four billion cash, something like that. By 1998, he'd stacked up cash double that to about uh, almost 10 billion, 8 billion. So the cash hoard had like he from 1997 he he bought companies and then in 1998 he didn't, and the cash just kept growing. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: by 1999 it was at almost 18 billion. Mm. So going from a two or three billion to 18 billion, that's very noticeable. And then he's writing. Watch out. So those two things, he's writing about it and his cash hoard is stacked up huge. All right, then by 2000, 2001, he's spending money like a sailor. (laughs) (laughs) And the cash is dropping like a brick.
0: You mean what, after the dot-com bust? Yeah. Okay.
2: So now he's spending his his cash. The cash goes all the way back down to two or three billion. And this is very obvious. And it's being done... In slow motion, as far as a small investor is concerned. If you'd waited till 2001 to buy companies, you would have been fine. You would have been stealing them. Okay. You could watch Buffett for a full year, maybe two years, and you would have been fine, noticing that he's spending money literally like a drunken sailor. And he would even say that in his, in his, so we are, we are finding (laughs) deals. Okay. Now you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, and you notice that by 2005, Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do?
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
2: 2006, it gets bigger. 2007, it gets bigger. And now he's up to, get this, $45 billion
0: hmm.
2: from, what, $18 billion, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's doubled. Mm-hmm. 2007, by 2008, he's spending money again.
0: Where are you getting all this data?
2: you just did people compile it it's just you can you can google berkshire hathaway cash oh, okay and everybody's watching berkshire and they're yeah. producing all this stuff it's just that most people who look at this stuff can't operate on it because they have funds and they have to stay invested so and most people don't operate on this in any case even private individuals so it's all right there you can just look it up yeah or you can compile it yourself look at the berkshire annual reports if you want to do the work yourself all right now 2009, again, he's spending money like a drunken sailor, loading up the truck. And you can see it, like we get the reports every 90 days of what he's buying. It's right there on these 13F reports, mm-hmm. which are fantastic. All right, his cash pile goes all the way back down almost to $20 billion. He spent over over $20 billion. Boom. All right, then up it goes, up it goes, up it goes, up it goes, up it goes. We're looking for what? We're looking for it to double again. And here it comes. Uh, we get to 95, uh, $90 billion by about mid-2017. About then, I would start getting worried if I were you. And so what you're asking, Eddie, is how long do we have to sit in cash before the thing crumbles underneath us? And the answer is, you know, it can be two or three years. It could even be four years. Right now, Buffett is stacking cash like there is going to be the biggest fire sale you've ever seen. He's up to, uh, gosh, what's he at now? 130, 100, he's up to 140 billion, I think. 130, 140 yeah,
0: billion. Yeah, something like that. It's insane.
2: So I would pay very close attention to that, my friends. This is the best investor in the world. He's very, very tuned in to the long-term investment strategies that have been making him very rich for a long time. He is not acting like you. He's not sitting in cash. He's not sitting in, excuse me, he's not it's sitting like, in the stock market. <laughs> he's not buying stuff like you are.
0: He's not sitting in the stock market, to be clear. Right. He and is in sitting cash. in cash.
2: He is in cash big time. $144 billion. So we're, we're not only double the cash he's had before, we are well beyond that now, which is now historic, Okay. So I would pay attention to that very strongly Eddie and I would say wow in fact I I would have to work at it to come out worse than the overall market in the long run by moving my money in and out um and then I would and then I would say Well I have you would just have to choose
0: the wrong times which many people do.
2: Yeah it's you many people get out of the market after it's crashed. Yeah That would be. (laughs) That's the wrong time. Bad idea. That's what makes it crash. In fact, the problem they've got is they haven't got it out before the crash, and so now they're watching their 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 life savings drain. Right, and they just don't know how far down it's going to go, and they can't take the pain any longer. On the other hand, if you're in cash for three or four years, how much pain are you really in? It's nothing like watching fifty percent of your retirement go away.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you are watching potential gains not happening. You know, it's... You are,
2: and that's hard.
0: It's very hard,
2: but, but it's, it's not, not as hard as what you just you said. throw up in the gas, in, you know, in your garbage yeah. can. It's, yeah, yeah.
0: The Agreed. other thing
2: does. Agree. The other thing is terrifying, especially yeah. if you're heading toward retirement. I mean, there's nothing scarier than watching a stock market crash if you have 60, 70, 80% of your, your, your retirement sitting in that, and you don't know how long it's going to be before it recovers. And here's the yeah. problem, you guys. Everything that the Federal Reserve is doing everything that both parties' presidents are doing is attempting to avoid the inevitable um through debt and and just stacking up debt to keep people moving, keep people grow, keep the whole economy going. And it's really a game of musical chairs. Eventually it has to stop. And when the music stops, the longer it's been going on, the worse it gets in terms of the 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 ordinary guy. And so it's been going on a long time. It's historic right now. doesn't mean it's going to stop. Then the music might keep playing for another couple of years, but holy smokes, which is better for you to, to miss out on another 18% or to lose 60, 70% of your retirement and not see it come back for 10 years.
0: Totally agree. I also think that part of the reason that value investing has grabbed me so much is that I can... Ignore everything we just talked about, right? And I can just focus on an individual company and its individual value and individual price, right? Regardless of what's happening with politics or market numbers or anything. Um, and that makes it for me; it makes it simple. Like there's just less data to worry about. Um, and so, if I own a company that that I bought cheaply even if the market crashes and again I haven't been through this in real life but my in my imagination even if the market crashes and that price comes down with the crash I know why I bought it and I know why I bought it at that price and I know what the value is and the value isn't going to change just because the market has changed so that gives me an opportunity to buy more yep and and just, just knowing that in my mind gives me so much emotional confidence that I'm not going to be throwing up in my trash can, as you just said, because I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. And just being able to, to skip all of the noise and all of the macro stuff. Um, and I'm not saying that that's not important and interesting, and, and many people love learning about that stuff and considering it. But I think um, going in and out... As Eddie Eddie said, going in and out and having periods of time in cash can kind of be, it can kind of just become your normal Mm -hmm. when you're just focusing on the individual companies and really ignoring everything else.
2: Yeah, very good. Very well said. And I would add one more thing to that, and that is that, that Danielle is essentially saying that there's something on sale every day in the stock market
1: every day. It's <laughs> just Am I
2: depend- saying that?
0: I don't know if I'm saying that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would say that. Every day something's on sale. We just don't know what is kind of the catch. Gotta find something because
0: in those 3,000 companies.
2: Yeah, the, the catch is that a lot of them might be on sale, but we just don't know. We just don't, they're not part of our, our circle of competence. They're, they're not something we necessarily understand. So the difficulty, particularly for, for starting investors, is that you have a very, you, you must keep a very narrow uh, circle of competence. you got to have a small circle and stay mm-hmm. within that small circle mm-hmm. and be patient. Um, but the longer you do this, you guys, and, you know, over the next 20, 30 years, your circle just naturally expands as you learn more about companies and start to build up your stories on these different companies. And that gives you more opportunities. You'll see more things that go on sale um, that are still, you know, six-inch bars. They haven't become six-foot bars. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on, on sale out there in almost any given day in the market because of normal market fluctuations, but a lot of it's six foot bars too. And we just can't jump over those. So it's a combination of growing your circle of competence, gives you more opportunities and um, just being patient and, and trusting that you won't do worse than the market. So I
0: think the answer is there like, yes, those periods in cash make it seem like your rate of return gets reduced, and like it literally does. But overall, if you choose the right times to get in and get out, which is a huge if, but that's why focusing on individual companies is really nice, then you will end up with a higher rate of return.
2: True? Overall. And I'll, I'll leave you with one more thing before we wrap up, and that is that Charlie Munger truly believes, Eddie, that you make money while you wait in cash. Mm it's, it, you're making money while you wait. And then the, the kind of the flip side of that is you make money while you sit in the company. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. action that costs you the money. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is you want to take action very, very slowly. And then you want to leave it alone for long periods of time. And that he would said be said in the short
0: term. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, that'd be ultimately the, the right stuff. You know, we, we don't make money when a stock. You know, when we're buying stocks, we don't make money when we're selling them. We make money because we are very patient, both as an owner of the business and as someone sitting in cash.
0: Yeah. He said in the short term, the market's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. Yep. And we just yep. have to wait for the weighing
2: to come. Yeah. Out. Wait for the weighing to come because it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> in and, in like five years. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But there's There's no choice because we don't have a crystal ball and it's real money and we can't afford to lose it. Yeah. So speculation just isn't a good game.
0: So speaking of interesting market stuff, last time we talked about an impromptu little contest for what the heck is Charles Schwab going to buy Ameritrade for at the end of the giant process? And by the way, acceptable answers include they will not. It will fail.
2: That's true. They will not, maybe. listen to
0: that episode if you missed it. At the end, we came up with this random idea And um, send us your answers at questions at investedpodcast.com with something in the subject line like valuation of Ameritrade or something like that. And then price is right rules, by the way, which I'm not going to explain to you. Google them. And... Look um, for whoever wins to be shouted out on the podcast down the line after the transaction is complete. So Did it's just you know a fun really little horrible? exercise to get what? all of us figuring out the valuations.
2: We didn't think this out. What would be really horrible is just think it some out bonehead guesses correctly, <laughs> does no work at all. <laughs> all these podcasts, doesn't listen to any of them, just... No, pulls a number all, out of his hat.
0: Yeah, no, it's just you send an email that just says 26 billion and that's
2: all it yeah. says cuz that's or what, what they, everybody does. Look at what everybody does is send in 26 emails <laughs> saying 10, 11, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. If you do that you're disqualified. <laughs> For sure. Making we us read that. We reserve crap. the
0: right to do everything unfairly in this contest. That's right. There is no guarantee. Try to game
2: us. We're (laughs) on to you already. And in fact, if you don't give us the logic behind your number, then forget you. I am not even giving you the time of day. (laughs) Well, we we didn't didn't say that on the
0: last episode, though. So we're making it it unfair right now.
2: I don't care. They're tossed out. So these are our rules. I like this though.
0: I do think that showing your work is important. And it's also a real challenge to show your work often in a uh, very clear way to people who are not yourself. So take that as a good opportunity to try it out and, uh, and see how it goes.
2: Yeah. And if you just make up a bunch of numbers, we'll know it. <laughs> we'll throw you out.
0: <laughs> the way the math teacher used to know back in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: All right. Well, good luck. And, uh, and do a little homework on this thing and see if you can come up with the right number. It's going to be fun.
0: All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. Time to go
2: play. See you. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice, because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that, you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only,
1: and I really hope you enjoyed it.